0: We've brought back the listener mailbag. Today, we're answering your family and financial questions. We're gonna be talking about keeping your grocery bills manageable, deciding on how to travel with your kids this spring and summer break, and we're gonna have a conversation about getting started with investing in real estate. Welcome to Simplify and Enjoy, the podcast and community focused on helping families have less stress and more options through minimalism and financial independence. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Find out how at bankbetter.org. One of my favorite parts of creating Simplify and Enjoy is this community. While I love sharing our journey as a family, it's absolutely fun when you chime in with your wins, stories, questions, and ideas. Today, we're gonna be diving into those family and financial questions with our listener mailbag. First, we're gonna look at how to save money on your grocery bill. Next, we're gonna talk about how to decide what's the best way to take your next family vacation. Is it plane, train, or automobile? And then finally, we're following up from last week's episode where we covered different options in investing. There are so many different paths, which is why I'm glad I'm going to share a fun and informative conversation I had with the new podcast, Stacking Deeds hosts, Crystal Hammond and Alan Corey. We're going to get into their own journeys with real estate and what advice they have if you're interested in getting started with that. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Let's start with this first question, which is finding ways to keep your grocery bills manageable while still eating well. It can be especially expensive now with inflation and the economy kind of shifting up a bit. But there are ways that you can save money on your groceries without sacrificing the quality of your meals. So here are some strategies to keep in mind. The first one is where you shop. It's true. You could be paying more for your groceries simply because of where you shop. You've probably heard just as I have that joke where whole food means whole paycheck, but there's more to it than just that store. The goal is not necessarily to go for a place where it's bottom dollar cheap. What you're doing is finding a grocery store that offers quality essentials at an affordable price And then you can still pick up those items at one of your old favorite stores. For us in this area here in Raleigh, our grocery of choice is Lidl. I also enjoy Aldi's, but then we get different treats at places like Trader Joe's. So again, it's finding that balance, getting those necessities at a really affordable price. And then you can treat yourself at a different store if you prefer. The second strategy is plan before you go out and buy. Now when you hear the word meal plan, what are you thinking? If you're worried, I'm going to insist that you come up with a detailed list of meals, have a spreadsheet. I have good news. You don't. Planning your meals can be easy and it will save you some serious cash in the store. Here's how I do it. One, real quick, it takes five minutes. Sounds simple. Open the fridge, pantry, and freezer to see what you already have. I don't want to get duplicates. I want to make sure that we don't waste food. Second is look for deals that your store has. Used to be those paper flyers were the way they go, but nowadays a lot of grocery stores have apps which also includes loyalty deals and specials. That can help you save money without spending a lot of time. The next step is sketch out your meals for the next week. So for us, dinners are the hardest because we try to mix things up and have a variety while our other meals kind of have a rotation of some favorites. A simple thing, even saying tacos this night, pizza this night, stir fry this night, gives you a better idea of what ingredients you need so you're, again, not wasting food. And maybe you get more of the same items that can be used over different meals, saving you some significant money. Another benefit of having that list is when you go there, you're more likely to stick to it and buy the items that you need. This is gonna prevent impulse buying and keep you on your budget. Speaking of being in the store, here are a few strategies on how to become a deal hunter. First off, if possible, go for good quality generic brands. Often, they're just as good as the name brands, but they can cost significantly less. In some cases, they may be made in the same factory, but just get a different label up seasonally for your fruits and vegetables. From my personal experience, most delicious, and then also really affordable. If there's something that you like that's not in season, consider getting it frozen. You can usually get a good deal with that and include them with smoothies or other creative ways with your meals. Finally, you can save money by buying in bulk, especially for those non-perishable items that you use frequently. Like I mentioned, If you have some overlap with ingredients with meals, that's great because you can take advantage of any deals that are going on that week. Finally, kind of as a bonus tip, depending on the time you have available, is seeing if you can start off and do some meal prepping for the week. By cooking a few meals or even some of the sides in advance, this will help you resist the temptation of ordering out or eating out on those busy nights. Because once in a while, it's good to treat yourself, but if you do it too often, it can be expensive and break your budget. So there you have it. With a little planning and effort, you can slash your grocery bill without sacrificing the quality of your meals. Give them a try and let me know what you think. Finding cheap ways to travel with kids. Perfect timing on this question because spring break is coming up for so many people. With family vacations being planned now, including ours, one of the first decisions you make is how you're going to get there. The good news is that there are several options available, including planes, cars, and trains. However, each one comes with their own list of pros and cons. So how do you figure out which one is best for your family? So let's go through them real quick. The first one, cars. This is something that we take advantage of if a trip is four hours or less. What I like about it is with a car, you have this freedom with the schedule. You leave when you need to leave or when you want. You can build it around the attractions that are on the road. You can adjust your schedule as needed. And if you have a fuel efficient car, it's pretty affordable. But the disadvantages, especially if you're going through a peak travel season, is the heavy traffic, road construction, which is always happening here in North Carolina. It can mean long travel times. Going to a place like Florida, that is 12 hours plus in a car. If you have little kids, that might not be appealing. So let's go to the other option, which is planes. Let's go to the next option, which are planes. Great for long distance trips. If you're heading down to Florida, for us, I believe it's like an hour and a half tops to get down to Orlando from Raleigh. Having a direct flight is fantastic and great because if you have young kids, the travel time isn't necessarily that bad. Then you can either rent a car or if you're visiting family, they can pick you up. Again, when you go for travel can affect a lot of things. And the big down factor with air travel is the cost. It can be pretty expensive, especially with airlines adding fees for extra things. And then also you have to consider, depending on the season of life you're in, your luggage situation. A lot of airlines have strict baggage limits, or you are going to be paying a lot in baggage fees. That's something you have to weigh as well. And the last one, and this is something we're considering new this year, is going by train specifically Amtrak. Now, one of the things that we're thinking about is not having to drive and then just enjoying this scenic trip down to Florida with the kids. I haven't taken Amtrak, so I would definitely like to see people's feedback on that, but this idea like we don't have to stress out about driving. We could read, relax, and just enjoy being taken down there. And I heard that the trains have more legroom and space than airplanes, so it could be a comfortable option. I saw that Amtrak, for example, has, of course, the coach chairs, but then they also have where you can get a room and it feels just like a hotel. You have your own private bathroom, you have room service, and it's easy to go. But a disadvantage is limited destinations. For example, we're looking at the East Coast side to visit family and friends in Florida, we would have to take the stop at Orlando and then either get a rental car or see if we can get someone to pick us up. Something to consider and then also the travel time. I hope that makes it easier for you to weigh what options are best for your family in this season of life. And if you're curious to see what we decided, make sure you're either subscribed to the newsletter or on Instagram, and I'll be sure to share the update once we take our trip. I'm excited to share this special treat in our listener mailbag episode. Last week, I spoke with Rachel Hernandez about getting started with real estate investing, and she was kind enough to share her experience about the different opportunities that she took in it including mobile home investing. But there are so many other paths to real estate investing, and I know some of you are considering it. Us as well, we're in those beginning stages of figuring out what we want to do. I had this great conversation with real estate investors and Stacking Deeds hosts, Alan Corey and Crystal Hammond. I remember reading Alan's first book, Millionaire by 30, while we are in the middle of our debt-free journey, I found his book hilarious, informative, and inspiring. I've personally known Crystal for years. I love her enthusiasm and energy with her entrepreneurial projects. And I am thrilled about how she's using real estate investing to make a positive impact. Hopefully, as you listen to this interview, you get ideas on how to get started and building your network. And if you're looking to get started and get more information about real estate investing, make sure you add Rachel's podcast that we mentioned last week, but then also Stacking Deeds, which is launching this week. That's Alan and Crystal's new podcast. All right. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I am so glad to have you guys because there's a topic going on in our community of interest, which is diversifying our income. And one of the ways is real estate. I've known crystal for years your entrepreneur you've (laughs) done so many incredible things and then alan this is a treat for me because i remember when we were first paying off debt and just this idea of um, having that intensity and and focus on taking care of what you need to take care of this book was an encouragement it was such a fun read so to chat with you today yeah, I right. glad you kept
1: it too. You read it and you still have it on your bookshelf somewhere. So <laughs> wonderful. Thanks, Al.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you guys about real estate because we have a lot of families who at this point of their financial journey, they've had some great milestones. They have paid off that high interest debt. They've started building their income, but now they're thinking, okay, next steps to financial independence or freedom, however they want to take their path. They know they want to diversify that income. And they hear about real estate. It can be wonderful. It can be great. But there's also, you know, there's always a flip side. There's a cost to everything. I love, like when I was reading your book, Alan, just that you were open and honest about how it works. So I wanted to jump in with that for you, both of
2: you. What got you interested, first of all, in real estate? What was that pull? And Alan, say the name of that book. I didn't even catch what it was. Uh, my form? Because she's
1: holding up is a billion bucks by 30 about how it became a millionaire when was 30. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. You want to answer that, Crystal, first? How you get so,
2: in? yeah. So I got in. It's funny that I got in out of fear. One of the great goals of this podcast is to connect people and be that person I needed when I first had my fears. Someone was buying the place that I grew up in. It was a duplex. And I was afraid that someone was going to buy that duplex and raise my mom's rent. Some friends of mine They used to go to these real estate meetings. So I was like, hey, can I go with you to your real estate meetings? I just wanted to meet someone, become their friend, and then tell them, by the way, you know, there's this place for sale. Can you buy it? And don't raise my mom's rent. You know, she's fixed income, little little Uh old lady. And then I walked away from that meeting and the guy was like, well, why don't you buy that property? And I was like, me? It's a duplex. I don't know anything about you know no one in my family owned property i was like what do you mean me he's like do you have a job and i was like yes and he's like well then you can buy the property and the rest is history i i i can't say i can't believe how easy that was but i just had it in my head that it was something that was impossible and something that i couldn't do yeah how about you al i've read the book but i kind of Oh, yeah.
1: i wanted to be a creative i moved to new york city to be a stand-up comedian and um That doesn't pay very well, especially if you're not funny. So (laughs) I had a day job and I was like, man, if I could just get rid of this day job, I could really focus on comedy. So I devoured every book I could on personal finance and wealth building. Real estate seemed to make sense. And then I had a plan. I was just going to buy one property a year for five straight years. And based on my math, it it would replace my day job income. I was making 50000 I just stuck to that plan and was able to acquire about five properties in New York City. I was 22, 23. At that time, I loved real estate more than I loved comedy. So actually, I kept my day job because then I could get more mortgages. And I was like, oh, wait, this, no, let me feed this new real estate addiction. And I haven't stopped since. And I've been real estate investing now for 23 years.
0: Wow. Wow. You guys bring up some good points. So, first of all, I wanted to talk about that, which is like, honestly, a lot of people do have fear and intimidation. If you're the first in your family or just anyways, just buying property can seem intimidating. You've seen the paperwork. (laughs) It's not exactly easy to understand. And then there is this concern about with rising housing costs. How can I keep that under control? I also love that you guys talk about options and protecting those you love. I think that's something that people don't consider with real estate. I know, Crystal, you were thinking about taking care of your mom, but like the philosophy behind real estate, like how would you suggest a, a couple of family? start those conversations if they're interested.
1: I'll jump in. I got a real estate before I found out about FI. Then when I found out about FI, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, how can I use real estate to sort of accomplish the same goals? Because I really love real estate. And it just came down to simple math that I created an approach that I call house fire, which is my most recent book. Fire, obviously, financial independence, retire early. And the example, the quick example I like to say is, you know, let's say you have a $150 phone bill, you know, family phone Mm -hmm. bill, $150, that's $18. $100 $100 a year, $45,000, you know, the 25X of that is $45,000 you have to have saved in stocks, right? And then I'll have my phone bill paid off for the rest of my life because I can't go to Costco and buy it in bulk. I can't, you know, get a discount. Honestly, it'll probably go up, but assuming that's that it stays 150. I was like, there's a better way it's real estate. Actually, if I save half of that, $22,500, right? Oh. That's, it, I can use that as a down payment on a $100,000 house. And that would cash flow $150 for me. So I just took all the numbers that I was already doing. And I was like, wait a minute, with real estate, I can do this with half the amount of money saved up. Here's the beauty. Even if my phone bill goes up you know, with this house fire plan, that, that's fine because my rent typically goes up that I'm charging each month. My principal balance goes down and my expenses get cheaper and my income goes higher. So this retirement plan, I just went through every single bill in my life. And said, let me buy a house for this bill. Let me buy a house for this bill. Let me buy buy a house for this bill. It took me half the time than your traditional FIRE method. And each year now in quote-unquote retirement, I get to live a larger and larger life because it returns a larger and larger money. I'm not constrained on a budget like you would be if you're withdrawing 4% from a stock portfolio. And
2: then I would even add to that another thing to talk about is especially with a spouse. I mean, I don't have a spouse. I have my plans. I talk things over with my plans. It's have a plan. Arm yourself with education. Like These are the prices. This is what a realistic down payment looks like. rates versus prices. When interest rates go up, prices tend to go down because inventories are higher because a lot of people think, oh no, interest rates are up. I'm not ready to buy. But I bought my first place. interest rates were seven percent a lot of times it's just education. I knew before I wanted to buy a piece of real estate, I had to go make friends with you know my friends that were in real estate. They attended mm-hmm. real estate meetings and they consistently went to these meetings once a month, so even the people that were at the meetings these weren't you know scamsters, screw you over kind of people because they were there every month and they were all doing business with each other. And it was a roundtable. They were sharing, hey, I bought this property in this neighborhood. This is a great neighborhood at night or this is not so great neighborhood at night. Mm -hmm. These are the numbers. They would actually say, this is the mortgage I received. This is the lender that I use, the mortgage broker I use. So I was in a room full of people that was willing to share information because, you know, if someone screwed them over, you know, if a plumber didn't show up. You know, his name was going to be Mud at that next roundtable. So you yeah. we were surrounded by some cool people. So I would say, let's just see see what it's about. You know, let's listen to to Elle's Park podcast episode and let's listen to Stacking Deeds po- podcast so that we can know, like, what's out there? What are our options? We may find an option that works great for us. We may have an extra room we can rent out. We may be able to turn our garage into a separate unit. And then that'll make great income for us. You're going to find out a lot of different unconventional think outside of the box kind of ways that you can invest in real estate. And some people, I feel like I'm talking so long, they don't want to do it long time. You know, I still have a but yeah. people call, you know, nine to five. Or I love my job. So I like that this is something you can do part time, you know, still get a lot of information and a lot of value and make a lot of money out of it. Yeah, that's
0: incredible. Again, you guys have a lot of good points. So I'm like trying to figure out which one to hone (laughs) in on. But you talk about education, which I totally think that's a great first step. But this is usually like the biggest purchase or one of those big purchases of like Mm want to get it done right. For you guys, the question that I'm wondering is for someone who say has bought a residential home, for real estate, is there a difference either with the process or the mindset with buying a home specifically for investing?
1: I answer this pretty easily. Most people want to make a lifestyle decision when they buy a house. is Mm -hmm. different than buying an investment property where it's a spreadsheet (laughs) decision. So I usually say you want your house as ugly on the street and sexy in the spreadsheets because those usually make the most money because you can get the uglier homes for cheaper. Tenants don't care if it's ugly. But maybe if you're selling a primary residence, then they'll put the countertops Mm -hmm. they want. This is the neighborhood I would want to live in. But just realize your tenants are not you. They're in different stages of their life. I've bought a $35,000 house before. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh my God, what a shack. And I was like, no, you should see how appreciative the tenants were. They had moved up into a house that was worth $35,000 to rent. Mm -hmm. They're proud. They had their family over. We're all at different stages in your life. It was livable. It was fine. Again, ugly in the street, sexy in the spreadsheets. Because if you put any emotion or what you want to buy a house... Usually, the numbers don't work out very well.
2: We I love, it. love, yeah, I love that you said that, Alan, because it is, it's an opportunity, even for me. I see it a way to, as a way to bring up, to improve neighborhoods. The neighborhood I grew up in was not a great neighborhood, south side of Chicago, but I have the opportunity to make it beautiful. They have a program now, there are a lot of abandoned buildings. So the city mm-hmm. tore them down, but. If you owned land on that block, you could buy it for a dollar. So now I want to build some nice, beautiful looking, affordable housing, make all the communities great again, because there's someone at every level of the home purchasing process. And it's a very big deal, home ownership. So many people don't know that they have the power. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to tell people that.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredible that you're trying to make a positive impact and income. Like you can do both. It's not an Mm -hmm. either or decision, but you definitely have to be really good with the spreadsheets and the numbers to make sure that works out. Kind of fast forwarding, as you're going through the process and you're owning property, I know one concern that usually comes up with the families, one or both of them are thinking, okay, being a landlord, that is a second job. You're going to have tenants (laughs) for every little thing that breaks. Like they imagine the worst case scenario, which isn't bad. It's, you know, you kind of want to run through that what would you say? Are there ways to simplify that? Are there ways to be a good landlord, but still not have that take over your life?
1: I budget every property I buy to have a property manager. And so the hard work up front is find that first property manager. Typically, there's property managers, there's some that work low income, some that work luxury, some that work east side of town, west side. You find the one that you like and trust. And Like every new adventure, you may have to work through a few. But once you find one, then I buy property that works within the property manager's realm. I'll be honest, it's like a mutual fund at this point because I get one email a month that says this is how much money you made. They handle all the repairs, they take it out of the rent. You know, I don't get a call. I don't even know my tenant's name. They don't know who (laughs) I am. So if you kind of budget with that in mind, and maybe you don't start there, but maybe that's the goal and It it only takes five properties to basically change your life. You know, it's quite amazing that way. People say, well, that's very risky. And to me, again, back to the mutual fund approach, it's not risky. If you buy one house and it's vacant, you're losing money because you're still paying the mortgage and property tax and insurance. Uh But if you've got five houses and one's vacant, well, the four are going to carry that fifth house that's down until it's full, not losing money month to month. So the more properties you have, the bigger that mutual fund of houses that you're creating. I want to say the the four letter word, debt, and that's good. <laughs> good debt. Yeah, that's how you that's how you achieve that. But but I love it because even with good debt, you get good tax breaks within real estate investing, and it basically protects you. And look at it that I've got fewer dollars into each house if I do have debt. So even if one you know yeah. house goes terribly, I've got four that'll carry it, kind of thing. It's just spread the risk around.
2: Yeah, I would say for me. I was on a smaller scale. So I also have to get to know, I guess, what things you are confident in doing and which things you're like, okay, this is not me. Your net worth is your net worth. It's who you surround yourself with. When I turned my first place in this DC area into a rental, oh, I used to get those calls. I used to get nightmares. But guess what? They stopped when I was calling on my network. It was all about my network. So I love the idea of the, the property manager is definitely the way to go. I love that idea of your tenants don't even have to know you. You don't know their names, but it's also there is insurance out there. All you have to do is pay a $75 deductible sometimes and then they'll send whatever repair person out that can act as your property manager if you're not there. It also comes to the math. Do the math calculate the property manager in there because you want to spend time with your your kids. You want to go on dates with your husband. You don't want to go on a plumbing. What happened to the basement uh-huh. date? You want to have all of that stuff on autopilot. Definitely just budget that. And that's, that goes back into the education piece and to ha- do the math, do the numbers, crunch the numbers and say, hey, these are realistic numbers. This is a realistic amount of money to save. We do talk about that in one of our episodes. Alan does an amazing job of breaking down the four or five steps that that'll make your your journey a success. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: Both of you have mentioned having that network, having those connections, whether it's taking care of maintenance, managing the property or having mentors. Where would someone who maybe doesn't have connections yet in real estate how did they find the good ones? And like you mentioned, Crystal, like don't get the scammers that give you like this horrible real estate device and basically want to take your money.
1: I would say start with someone you trust in the real estate field. It'd be a property manager. It could be a real estate agent. It could be a mortgage lender. It could be a closing attorney, a contractor. One person who's like trustworthy and successful, they usually surround themselves with other tr- successful, trustworthy people. So if you don't know where to begin from there, Crystal and I are both on Twitter and we gave recommendations all the time. I would just start talking to real estate investors. What I've found is like what Crystal was saying is going to these real estate meetings, they're free. Every town has free monthly real estate it's called RIA meetings, Real Estate Investment Association meetings. The people there, investors are always happy to help other investors. Mm-hmm. The ones that they, they, they get the reputation of sharks is when they talk to people who are not in the real estate business because they get some mm-hmm. some super deal, right? But if they say, Oh, you're an investor and I'm an investor or you want to be an investor, I found them all to be very accommodating, take you under your wing and be like, Oh, I used to be you when you know when I was at nineteen <laughs> looking at houses or whatever it is. And they're they're gonna set you up because in those rooms, it's like sharing a passion of five, right? You're in a room at FinCon or whatever, and everyone's got the same right. passion. the real estate investing groups and clubs, they all share the same passion. If you're in a smaller town, I promise you there's Facebook groups that also have real estate investors. Put your city name or state name, real estate investors group. uh, You'll find some Facebook groups. At least just get the conversation virtually. And within those groups, they're going to tell you when they have regular meetups. And just go from there. Listen to podcasts like this, and we'll be talking and and giving recommendations and book recommendations and podcast recommendations, all sorts of stuff. It's just start slowly getting that knowledge so you feel confident to make a move.
0: Absolutely. And I know we just scratched the surface. You guys with your new podcast, Stacking Deeds, really do cover it. So for those that want to learn more about real estate, getting started, building their portfolio, can you tell
2: me like a little preview? What are you guys going to be talking about on Stacking Deeds? Real estate, it's a pretty complicated thing to do. So we want you to know that, you know, hey, we're here to share stories and we're here to do deep dives also into the numbers because it's a math thing. It's a numbers thing. It's a budget thing. The more you have that, the more prepared you are, the better you'll do. Also surrounding yourself with good people. So we're gonna bring a lot of good people on. We like to think we're good people. We're on your podcast. Going back to the people part, the networking, it's gonna take some time. We want to talk to you. We want to bring the right people in front of you just so you get comfortable because even after my first meeting of that, That mortgage broker that was like, hey, you should buy the property. I'm like, hey, you know, what do you guys think of this guy? You know, is he just, you know, blowing smoke? Take time. You ask questions. We want an open forum to our communities where people will be able to ask, get their personal questions answered and things like that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'll throw on top of that. I completely agree with Crystal, but it's math which mm. makes some people's eyes roll in the back of their head, me included, <laughs> but it's just addition and subtraction math. It's yeah. no, you know, it's add up all the expenses and then how much money can I rent this for? And then what's the difference? It, it, well, yeah, we'll cover what that math includes, but it's really easy. Just simple is. addition and attraction. We try to make it fun too on stacking yeah. deeds. It's a spinoff show of a personal financial show called stacking Benjamins. that's very popular, but we just talk about real estate. We want to bring humor. We want to make it feel like a news magazine, news segments that mm. were silly for sure so it's definitely light it's for that newer investor it launches march 7th so uh, yeah go check out stacking deeds
0: this segment is brought to you by travel freely i know we have some travel hacking families in our community who love using the rewards for family vacations and there are many who want to join them however it can be tough to sort through all the offers this is where travel freely can help It simplifies your search and makes it easy to find the best offers and deals that fit your family and how they spend. So you are maximizing your rewards. If you want to learn more on how to travel hack your next epic family trip, please go to simplifyandenjoy.com slash travel freely. This is usually where I share a few key takeaways from preparing this episode. But today, I want to highlight some ways that you and I can connect, talk about the podcast while it is on spring break. Because family finances constantly change, sometimes you have a question, and I would love to help you out. So what's the best way to reach out to me? Well, there are three ways. The first is social media. Are you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter? That's cool. I'm there too. I'm at simplify underscore enjoy. If you ever want to say hi or just casually chat or ask a quick question, go ahead and tag me. The second is our private Facebook group called Thriving Families. Here we're focused on having conversations about situations that we're dealing with, swapping ideas, stories, and resources that have personally helped us. I do look at the group throughout the week. But Thursdays are usually best to reach out to me. But anyways, if you tag me, I will see it, and I will do my best to answer your question. If you want to join us on Thriving Families, just sign up over to Simplify and Enjoy slash FB. And then finally, is the newsletter. It's free. You'll not only get the latest episodes, videos, and articles, but I also make sure to share helpful resources straight to you each week in your inbox it's the easiest way to stay up to date with what's happening share your ideas and questions with me and then also have some input on the podcast if you want to sign up there just go to simplify slash listen thanks again for your support in the community i look forward to chatting with you special thanks to you for being a part of this episode Seriously, this is what I love about writing and podcasting for Simplify and Enjoy is hearing from you, whether that's a question, an idea for an article, or just updating me on what projects you're doing. As I've mentioned before, we are starting our spring break for the podcast next week. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter. I will still be sending weekly updates. You can get behind the scenes information about upcoming episodes and send again your ideas in. But until then, I hope you have a wonderful spring break. Take care.